On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. With your thoughts on whether football is any good um, or anything else, there might be some of you that are watching Ballyhale versus Ballygunner this afternoon, and fair play to you if you are um, personally, because we're probably actually not going to get into too much football content. Going to say something controversial now. Send me a tweet or text if you disagree. I don't want Lionel Messi to win the World Cup today because I want there to be this ongoing futile debate around whether he is better or not than Cristiano Ronaldo. I want this to be an open sore that people debate until the end of time. I do not want certainty. And there probably would be certainty if Lionel Messi was captaining Argentina to win the World Cup today. Uh, That is not on the front pages uh, of any of today's newspapers, which is understandable given this World Cup cycle, because to be fair, there was a new government appointed yesterday, even if it doesn't feel too much like a new government, given that it's all the same personnel as the last government. Um, Sunday Independent headline puts it pretty succinctly, I think. Varadkar bets on more of the same. The coalition is gambling on stability over change as the government leaders made minimal alterations to their ministerial teams following the handover of power between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. The new Taoiseach and Tánaiste, along with the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan, decided to make as few changes as possible to their senior cabinet ministers amid opposition calls for a general election rather than the rotation of the most senior political office in the country. A new cabinet with no changes in ministerial personnel was unveiled by Fine Gael leader Leo Varadkar after he was elected Taoiseach following Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin's resignation yesterday morning. Senior ministers in all three coalition parties retained their seats even in the key department of health and housing where the government is still struggling to make an impact there were minor changes for Fine Gael, which will see deputy leader Simon Coveney become enterprise minister while Simon Harris will oversee the department of justice along with his own department of higher education at least until Helen McEntee returns to office in six months after maternity leave um, also on the front page of Sunday Independent and this is reflective of um, a lot of the coverage around today's papers as well. Some some more details emerging about uh, the circumstances of Private Sean Rooney, who unfortunately, of course, died, as we all know, in very tragic circumstances on Wednesday night in Lebanon. Um, Ali Bracken reports this morning that murdered soldier Private Sean Rooney and his colleagues may have been targeted in Lebanon after being mistaken for Israeli soldiers, according to a security source. And meanwhile, it is believed that two gunmen were involved in the attack that claimed the 24-year-old soldier's life on Wednesday, according to a Lebanese judicial source quoted in local reports Um, in the region Um, also on the front page of the Sunday Times some discussion about the circumstances of of Private Rooney Um, John Rooney tells us under the headline that Hezbollah killed the soldier to drive away the UN he tells us that the Irish soldier shot dead in South Lebanon last week was murdered by Hezbollah to try and deter the UN from patrolling villages where terrorists store weapons and plan their attacks that's what authorities believe Uh, Private Rooney was shot dead after his UN vehicle took a detour as he drove colleagues to catch a flight home from Beirut airport men on mopeds are said to have followed Rooney once he left the motorway and possibly alerted militants to the presence of a UN peacekeeping vehicle the defence forces believe that Rooney encountered a roadblock in the coastal village of Alakbi where he managed to drive past despite his car being swarmed by locals Seconds later, he came under fire and crashed into a shop. It is understood that Rooney from Newton Cunningham in County Donegal died instantly. The authorities are searching for two gunmen. Uh, also on the front of the Sunday Times, a picture of uh, Leo Varadkar looking pretty pleased with himself on his way out of the front door of Leinster House yesterday on his way to receive the seal of office for the second time. Even more writes that Leo Varadkar has been elected Taoiseach for the second time uh, in a historic ceremony after the resignation of Micheál Martin. The Fine Gael leader comfortably re-elected to the highest office in government by a margin of 87 votes to 62 with one abstention. After a day full of pomp and ceremony that began with Martin flanked by his wife Mary tendering his resignation to President Higgins at Orson Uchtron and dissolving the government. However, as Ethan Moore says and having been there all day I can testify to this 
The buzz around a rare Saturday sitting in Leinster House was quickly deflated by a minimal cabinet reshuffle as Martin, now Tanishta, will take over as Minister for Foreign Affairs amid the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine and ahead of the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement in April next year. His predecessor, Simon Coveney, takes over Varadkar's old brief in the Department of Enterprise. In his first speech this year as Taoiseach, watched on by his parents and partner, Leah Varadkar said that he accepted the role with humility and resolve after a year of political and personal controversy for the Fine Gael leader. Um, the front page of the Irish Mail on Sunday, again more details from Lebanon. The headline reads, Hero Soldier's Last Message, It's Too Late. As Private Sean Rooney and three fellow Irish peacekeeping troops came under attack from a mob in Lebanon, they sent a final message to the comrades that they became separated from just minutes earlier, telling them, don't come back, it's too late. Moments later, the 24-year-old soldier was shot in the head after the UN vehicle overturned as they tried to flee their attackers. Details of Private Rooney's harrowing final moments emerged as the outgoing Taoiseach Micheál Martin yesterday vowed that we are determined to get the truth about the brutal killing of the young Irishman. Um, and uh, some some coalition stories in the front page of the Business Post. Um, Leo Varadkar said he will go all out as Taoiseach to improve the government's performance on homelessness and home ownership. Um, we will have to go all out to turn the corner on homelessness, he said in the doll yesterday. We need to accelerate housing for all. It's about making home ownership the reality for many again. Um, but the other two stories on the front page, little to do with the reshuffle per se. Um, we are told, however, that the government will reconsider placing a cap on energy bills in the new year, the Business Post has learned, despite previously warning that to do so would represent a risk to the economy. The move could cost billions of euro, but it's become a more attractive prospect after Germany pushed ahead with its own year-long price cap, which will give a guaranteed price to households and businesses for a portion of their energy use. Capping energy bills this winter was ruled out in September, just ahead of the budget, due to concerns about the exposure of the Exchequer. But the Business Post understands that the Department of Enterprise has now, or Department of Environment, excuse me, has been exploring the possibility of introducing a price guarantee for a portion of energy used in households, which sounds very like the proposal that Liz Truss had and has now since downgraded, and the proposal that Sinn Féin brought forward, uh, and that, which was rubbished at the time by the coalition, but which may now be uh, pursued after all. Anyway, that is the front pages of this morning's newspapers. Joined in studio by Breda Brown of Unique Media and journalist and author uh, Valerie Cox. Uh, good morning to you both, and um, happy morning, Christmas. Morning. I, I, I'm almost in the habit of saying Happy New Year, yet uh, I <laughs> I won't do that for, for at least for at least another 46 minutes. Um, good morning to you both anyway. Um, obviously, we will start with the affairs of government and the appointment of um, a new government. Um, Brida, I'll start with yourself first. There's there's a lot written, which is in itself an achievement, given that there was not a lot of movement yesterday. Um, what jumps out at you this morning about today's coverage? I suppose you're right. Um, and there's a huge amount to talk about the amount of pomp and ceremony that did go on yesterday. But as Eva Grace Moore says, no surprises. And there wasn't any. So the whole thing, even watching it unfold yesterday, it was all totally choreographed, all expected. Um, everything that we knew was going to happen essentially did happen. It reminded me very much of, do you know when the uh, uh, truck says they're going to go to the Aris, they're going to dissolve the doll and we're going to go into general election mode. Yeah. And we're all very excited and we don't know what's going to happen next. It felt like that really when Micheál Martin was going to the Aris yesterday morning and then after that it just sort you of You're like, yeah, wh- why did we think okay. there'd be excitement about this? Yeah. I know. Yeah. And now we the problem is we do know what's going to happen next. We're now just moving into the second term essentially of, of, of this coalition. So it felt like the air was just pulled out of our tyres yesterday as we were watching mm. it. The opposition obviously moaned about it and, and there was some interesting um, you know things thrown around in the doll yesterday but there wasn't really a whole lot a whole lot happening what the interesting part is what happens next and what do you think is happening next because or, normally, or how do you think yesterday sets us up for what happens next well 
interestingly, normally in a scenario like this, when there is a new government, uh, there's a honeymoon period. And we're all talking about how are they going to get on with the first 100 days, for example, in their in their new term of power. That will not happen this time. Uh, Taoiseach, I have to remember to call him Taoiseach and not Thonishta. It took, it, us it a, it took a long time to get out of the habit. Now we have to get back did. into it again. He has to hit the ground running. Absolutely needs to deliver. And he needs to deliver in the short term, not in the long term. We have two years here uh, before the next general election, but we have to remember all parties are now on an electoral footing. Mm. So while up until now, the three party coalition have been allies to an extent, and they have been, and it's a really good, strong and stable uh, scenario, they are now political rivals. So while they still have to come across Mm. as being, you know, coalition partners, obviously, to get through the next term. Yeah. They are all their eyes are absolutely on the prize and that prize is the next general election. Uh, well, I want to come back to the, the relationships as they simultaneously try to govern together and prepare for an election uh, in just a minute. First of all, Valerie, your, your reflections on the extent of today's coverage and anything that jumped out for you? <laughs> well, you know, it's quite interesting and there's quite a lot of contrast, but they're talking about Eva Moore, talking about the pomp and ceremony. But then if we look over at the Business Post, Michael Brennan and Daniel Murphy say, or Murray say, some tried to make a virtue of the fact that his appointment as Taoiseach for the second time was a rather low-key affair. What was once almost unthinkable, an orderly handover of the positions of Taoiseach and Thornishta between two parties with an historic and often bitter rivalry was exactly what happened in the Dáil Chamber. And we're also reminded this morning um, in the Irish Mail on Sunday, which I hadn't realised, that Micheál Martins was the shortest ever to mm. turn as Taoiseach. Just 904, 903 or 904 <laughs> days, uh, which is 20 days shorter than the tenure of John Bruton right, when he took over right, for, yeah. about, as part of the Rainbow Coalition. Um, and of course there, are, there have been other shorter terms but they've all been served by people who then had other periods exactly. so therefore there was the longest one. And there's, uh, a, there's a lot of talk about um, from Varadkar's speeches are, and quotes as to you know what wonderful things he's going to do now that he's Taoiseach. Mm. But like there was a lot he could have done as Thornishta. Mm particularly in housing and housing is coming up in every single paper this yeah. morning. You yeah. know, he's talking about how he's going to get uh, tackling the housing crisis, sorting it out, getting on with the plans, the strategy and so on. But I'm just wondering, why didn't he do that before now? Why is he waiting to jump back in as yeah, Which is a fascinating question because one of the reasons why yesterday felt like such a damp squib, aside from the fact that we, we knew it was coming, that this was a scheduled uh, rotation and that there was nothing really uh, by way of surprise. The only surprise we were looking at was cabinet personnel there were no surprises there. Um, but that a lot of the architecture of government has kind of been redesigned in the last two and a half years so that there's less of a, you know, um, first and second in command relationship and more of a, almost if you like, co-teacher. That, that mm-hmm. the, the office of Thonishta has now been beefed up and has so much resources and personnel available to it that it is supposed to be thought of as being something parallel to that of Tishuk. So it is actually a reasonable question as to why a lot of the focus that he now wishes to place yeah. didn't happen I mean, when he was in the last job. There's several articles, um, particularly in the Business Post, actually, where he's pl- promising action on housing and climate. And he says he'll go all out as Taoiseach to improve the government's performance on homelessness and home ownership. We need to accelerate our plan, housing for all. It's about making home ownership a reality for the many again. But sure, for the last 903 days, where has he been? 
<laughs> but again, this goes back to we're now on an electoral footing, you know. Yeah. And interestingly as well, uh, there's two, a piece in the Sunday Indo and a piece in the Sunday Times, which is like the report cards for all of the, yeah. all of the various mm. um, ministers. So it's basically, it's say, like the Christmas house exams, basically. Like it, how well yeah. is the student doing? Must <laughs> do better. Yeah. Now, there has been no change. And this goes back to uh, the conversation we've been having around stability versus change. Change is the word that Sinn Féin are using. So in the Sunday Independent, Hugh O'Connell, uh, has gone through um, Hugh O'Connell and Philip Ryan have a really nicely laid out uh, piece on page 11 of the Sunday Independent uh, same old faces and no surprises in Leo Varadkar's cabinet so he goes down through all of the, the various individuals and they get their rating for the first half and it ranges from an A for Micheál Martin uh, to a D for Simon Coveney actually interestingly uh, and a D for Hildegard Nocton so you can go down through all of that and have a look as, as to the, the reasons um, yeah. as to why this is the case and similarly then uh, Aoife Grace more in the Sunday Times also has a, a similar layout taking stock shall we say yeah. of, of the first half so again going back to what Valerie was saying we're, we're on electoral, electoral footing yeah, now so we need to they're going to have to focus on fixing a couple of these um, topics which are housing mm. health and the economy but this, uh, uh, this is a point that I'll take up with both um, Simon Harris and Thomas Berman with me um, after 12 o'clock um, independently I might add they're not coming on as a, as a duo because that would, <laughs> that, would be, that would be a step too far for this kind of power sharing arrangement um, but Leo Varadkar made a point this week of saying that he wasn't going to give a ministerial job to anyone who wasn't committed to contesting the next election, mm-hmm. which I think to me seems like, you know, you're probably not going to have another reshuffle before the next election. So the, the front bench that you have now, the six senior ministers and the seven juniors, when we find out who the rest of them are this week, are going to be the party front bench heading into an election. And it strikes me that, yes, you can make a case for continuity and that Leo Varadkar wants experience and that he's become slightly more cautious as he's gone on in politics over time but that the front bench might look very tired when we get to the next election because Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney, if they're still in in cabinet by then, assuming the election is 2025, will have been in coalition and in in cabinet for 14 years Mm -hmm. unbroken. That Pascal Donoghue and Heather Humphreys will have been in cabinet unbroken for uh, 10 or almost 11 years. Um, Simon Harris will have been there for, I think, eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. That The the, the youngest serving cabinet minister at that level, if you want to call her that, would be Helen McEntee, who would still have five years under her belt. And Jack Chamber, who's who's even the youngest, will at that point be how many years? Yeah, I'm I'm just talking about the the Fine Gael side for now. Mm -hmm. It it, it would Mm -hmm. seem like... If, if change is the buzzword of the day, that you're not offering people very much change if you're offering people a front bench with people who have already been in cabinet for more than 10 years unbroken. And this is, as I said, what Sinn Féin's mantra is, is change. So yeah. they will have to look, as I said, um, at maybe the junior ministerial portfolios now next week. Will you try and shake that up a little bit more to bring in a little bit of new blood? There's talk there that uh, the likes of Colin Brophy may be moved aside. Frank Fian, uh, Thomas Byrne, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, from a, um, sorry, will be replaced by Fine Gael. So there will be opportunities there to bring in a couple of new faces to try and bring that new blood mm-hmm. forward. But no, I, I totally agree with you. I think, again, this feeds into Sinn mm. Féin's call for, for yeah. change. Which, which yeah. then begs the question, Valerie, that, um, you know, ha- how is or what are the threats to the government in trying to sort of remain all, you know, pally and collaborative and to have this good convivial working relationship with each other when already the front bench is being chosen with an election in mind and they're mm-hmm. going to have to start trying to pitch yeah. their own identities and finding divisions with each other while at the yeah. same time they're still trying to work together. Absolutely, but it does look as if their plan is for 
boring. And there's a very interesting piece in the Irish Mail on Sunday um, from John Lee. And he says boring has become a saleable electoral asset. And what he's talking about is Micheál Martin was regarded as a very safe pair of hands. He may have been a bit boring, but they are looking to Micheál now as an electoral asset. They think he's going to be absolutely great. And the other thing was that um, the... Reshuffle. Um, I was reading Jodie Cochran in the Independent. Mm. He says the you know the reason we've had such a boring reshuffle, hardly any changes at all, is <coughs> because that's going to if they had a reshuffle now, which we would all regard as quite interesting and exciting. Yeah, it would actually slow down the policies they have on the on the various task forces mm. at yeah. the moment. Yeah, which which I heard by the by was one reason why Stephen Donnelly was retained as Minister for Health. I know that there were maybe not necessarily shared within cabinet, but that there was a backbench desire to have some change there perhaps mm. Jack Chambers because people liked Jack Chambers as a chief whip but the argument against the change was that effectively yeah. it would take six and months to read yourself in and that's, exactly that's a lot of lost time saying. you know they, if they're not reshuffling then they can't be waiting for a honeymoon period they just have to get stuck in mm. get it done and hopefully hold on to power I mean that would be what they're saying there's also a lot of talk this morning which I thought was interesting um, again uh, Jody Cochran he says um, this political change is the death of civil war politics mm-hmm. and he says you know when we step back from the pomp and ceremony um, civil war politics which for a century has dominated this country is well and truly dead and buried somewhere in an unmarked grave. Um, a few texts and tweets coming in. Eugene says that I wish the new government every success. Never has the governance of our wonderful country and its democracy been so important. The people will need such governance in basic leaving. Uh, that says Eugene. Uh, Noble Guardian on Twitter says that the disappointment of all the political correspondents about the lack of any excitement in the story <laughs> perhaps represents political correspondents' desire to make mountains out of molehills. See the cervical check tobacco for a recent example. Mm-hmm. I think I'd agree with the first sentence of that, not so much the second, because I don't know if there was mountains being made out of molehills on that front, but everyone's entitled to their opinion um, Pat says will any of you bring up the fact that Fianna Fáil is back in charge of the Department of Finance 11 years after bankrupting the country did someone say it would be like putting John Delaney in charge of the FAI again mm. is there an issue with that Rita do you think people are actually that by- do you think people are, are would be exercised by the symbolism of Fianna Fáil in finance given that finance has been split in two and that Fianna Fáil have had the other half of it for two years anyway and I think it's been diluted as a result you know that their one half is held by Fine Gael and the other half is held by Fianna Fáil um, no I don't think so and I think um, Michael McGrath has done done quite a good job to date and the steady pair of hands and going back though to what Valerie was saying as well and what, what you were talking about in terms of stability I think we are in a, in a scenario as an economy we want stability when we look across the water at what went on in um, in the UK the political pantomime that has mm. been going on there in the past year we've had three Prime Ministers a disastrous mini budget it has been one chaotic incident after another we don't want that here mm. we don't need that here we shouldn't have it Is here Is that then where, where, where change doesn't become such an attractive prospect and actually a bit of boring stability exactly is a selling so point. So boring stability. You know, there's also a talk in some of the papers that the um, reshuffle lacked ambition. Uh, but then others are saying, well, at the end of the day, you know, the ambition of the government was laid out in the programme for government two years ago. They're now trying to implement that ambition mm. and they're trying to, to get things done in the next two years. But Valerie, is, as Valerie pointed out, you know, they should have been doing more to date and they now need to, foot oh, needs yeah. to hit the and floor, you know. Three days. But I actually think they've got another problem they haven't addressed yet. And that is the Green Party. Mm. The Green Party is not The party happy. we haven't spoken about up till now because they decided just to completely stay put as they are, did not desire yeah. any reshuffles, yeah, not change but any But they personnel. also feel 
that um, the coalition has hung them out to dry. Um, they say that um, Varadkar has allowed Fine Gael ministers and backbenchers to attack the junior coalition party. Mm-hmm. And there's been an awful lot of uh, stories coming into the media that we mightn't have heard about otherwise. For example, when Catherine Martin went to Dubai, she flew business class yeah. and the coalition While other ministers, ministers were, yeah. they, they, they went economy. So I don't know, but I think they could be expecting a lot of trouble from the Greens. Mm. And maybe they'll try and buy them off with a few positions well, or something. I, mean, it, I don't know. It, it is very true that uh, Fine Gael have been exercising their party to have a go with the Greens because the amount of uh, energy that they've put into the campaign about saving the Christmas crib, uh, which is now in St. Stephen's <laughs> Green instead of outside the mansion house <laughs> inhabited by a Green Party councillor, they, they genuinely, uh, they have done it. Um, Frank and Swords texts 53106 to say, looking at the political changeover yesterday reminds me of a farmer moving manure and muttering, same manure, different shovel. <laughs> I imagine manure is not the word that that farmer would use, but thank you for acknowledging, Frank, that this is a family friendly show um, somebody else texts in to say that everyone realises that all key decisions are made outside the country don't know if everyone agree with that but certainly some significant ones Lorna wants to know can anyone explain why Stephen Donnelly has been left in health health is in crisis and he has contributed nothing I suspect we've just touched um, on that Valerie mm, which is that it would take, if it's in crisis someone else would take six months well, to get to grips with it I don't understand why he's also taking charge of justice while Helen McEntee no, well no the, this Steve, Stephen Donnelly is oh, sorry, we're talking Stephen about Don, Simon sorry, Harris is taking the justice job I think of my Wicklow TD oh, there you go. <laughs> this, all, all Greystones ministers are all interchangeable yeah. uh, one way or yeah, another um, that's Valerie of course you contested the election against both of them uh, so <laughs> protect, especially especially invested in their performance There's, it's an interesting just a side angle it, it's the only kind of um, surprise blip. as it were really uh, from yesterday's reassignment is that blip. Simon Harris is in justice now yeah I, and it sort of came out of nowhere really I thought um, maybe they would potentially give it to another female um Minister on mm. the basis of gender geography and, yeah. and all of that and gender well, balance. Th- there are no um, others other than Norma Foley or Catherine Martin. So if they wanted to keep it within Fine Gael, they had if they wanted to keep it for a woman, then Heather Humphreys was going to be is, the only which one. Which is a true point. I, I was told, and we'll talk to Simon Harris about this, and I need to get to a break in a minute. I was told that Heather Humphreys, in her other two jobs, in rural development, there is some some big donkey work that needs to be done um, in the early part of next year, which would be a lot fairly time consuming mm. anyway. And in social protection, they are now finally going to set about legislating for auto enrolment. This idea that you would have mandatory pensions and that you would have to opt out if you didn't want to contribute and that in itself is a lot of legal work which would tie you down for a long time so they were effectively arguing that well both of her briefs would be a full-time job for anybody and it wasn't tenable to take on just but I wonder was she still disappointed <laughs> We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what Simon Harris thinks about it in a few minutes' time. But, but Sorry. Is, uh, Radio, I, what does it say about the Department of Justice that we can just let somebody babysit it, that we don't need somebody to take it on as an entity in its own is, right? Is that not a natural consequence of just facilitating somebody's maternity leave that someone else is going to have to take it on as, as a part-time role? Somebody's going to have to take it on, but why not give it to somebody who can take it on as a, 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 a just one job and look after so it properly? So pr- promote a backbencher I mean, and give I, them the job solo for six months? Absolutely. I think we have demoted the department and I think also if we had promoted a, a backbencher, it would give them the opportunity to have a go to portfolio and see what they would be like. I mean, you know, Simon Harris um, is obviously supposed to be really, really busy with health. Mm. So what's he doing taking on justice as well? Uh, David, busy with social... Uh, with, with, with higher education. With higher education uh, yep. David Wicklow, a fellow constituent of, of Valerie's, wants to know, has Leo just sunk Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil by talking only about home ownership as the solution to housing? 
which is an interesting point. Oh. There's so much discussion about ownership, so but not this about. This is where we're going to start seeing the language now change. As I, as I keep, it's my little mantra. Oh, it's okay. around the yeah. electoral okay. platform, and this is where he feels maybe that this is the difference between him, uh, his party, and and Sinn Fein going mm. forward. Um, yeah. Gavin, apart from all the shallow buzzwords such as housing for all, etc., I'm afraid that Varadkar's ethos will mean that he will continue to rely solely on the private sector and will prevent the government from building enough social housing themselves. Says Tony to five three one zero six. Worth reminding again that a government in which Leo Varadkar has been de facto co-Taoiseach uh, for the last two and a half years um, has a capital underspend of 700 million euro uh, at the end of November in its housing budget it had expected to spend about two and a half billion has actually got 1.8 out the door um, there was a lot of uh, spending profiled for December in the official lingo we will see early in the new year exactly how much of it gets out the door but certainly significant on that front that a government in which Fine Gael has had a significant role um, has effectively been unable to spend uh, all the money that it has allowed for itself um, do keep your texts and tweets coming in uh, lots of it coming in I'm sure about the reshuffle <laughs> and about whether Lionel Messi would be the greatest footballer of all time uh, if he wins the World Cup we'll get to them and some more in the papers with Breda and Valerie when we're back after this 11.32 on the record Gavin Riley with you till one o'clock lots of texts and tweets uh, coming in about the reshuffle Mick says Hi Gavin if the Justice Department is being passed from Billy to Jack or at least from Heather to Simon in this instance um, how are we supposed to get control back of the antisocial craziness which is rife in Dublin City Centre currently that's from Mick Pat says the Department of Justice is run by NGOs anyway so <coughs> There's no need for a full-time replacement uh, for Helen McEntee. I mean, if that's it's a it's a reasonable argument, but if 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 you think that the department is run by NGOs, why bother having a department? Why bother having a government? Why don't we just allow NGOs to run the country? But how democratic would that be? Jer says, when is News Talk going to realise that we are an EU country? Great to see some EU stability and cooperation in government, says Jer. Um, John Moylan in uh, Athen Rye talking about defence, uh, and we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, saying, um, given what's happened this week on top of the crisis that's already in, no mention of prioritising defence, which is uh, a reasonable argument given that, uh, once again, defence will not be a standalone job, that it's going to be somebody's secondary title alongside foreign affairs or some other department. Uh, and somebody else texts in to say, in politics or Elsewhere, it shouldn't be a feature of maternity leave that somebody takes on that role on top of another full-time role. There is always the assumption, and it's stressful for the mother going on maternity leave and those left covering. It leads to the resentment of people using the right. Um, says that text to five three one zero six. It is an interesting argument that maybe he should have just promoted somebody as a standalone uh, candidate for for um, minister for justice rather than giving it to somebody else. Uh, final text for now Mike says will you at least mention the fact that Sinn Féin didn't want to nominate Mary Lou for Taoiseach did it have anything to do with the allegations of links to the Hutch Gang uh, text Mike I think ostensibly to, to, to address that question with a straight bat Mike the reason why Mary Lou Macdonald was not nominated for Taoiseach yesterday is that it would have been completely untenable for Sinn Féin to campaign for the last two and a half years that there needed to be a new general election and then opportunistically decide to try and form a government when a vacancy came up it just wouldn't have been able to do um, both of those at the same time um, I do want to move on to um, some of the coverage today about the tragic events in the Lebanon but before we did um, Breda was desperate to get some Fianna Fáil discussion out of her system so Breda have at it's it like, It's like the book We Need to Talk About Kevin We Need to Talk About Fianna <laughs> okay, Fáil right. um, So what, what do we need to say about Fianna So Fáil? what's going to happen here This is what I feel is going to be absolutely fascinating in terms of Micheál Martin Is he going to stay or is he going to go And there's sort of two, two roads Well he's here. going to be Minister for Foreign Affairs so he is notionally staying and yet doing an awful lot of going And he's a Minister for Defence more than likely Indeed part of that as well. Uh, so yes. I suppose the focus here was the fact that by being Minister for Foreign Affairs he's going to be travelling an awful lot and therefore the criticism within the party is he's not going to be able to stay here and galvanise the party towards the next election. So therefore would that result in a heave towards him at some point mm. uh, to get rid and to get somebody else in? 
Or, you know, does he have his eye on the long game and realise that actually because of the job that he has done to date, the international yeah. uh, spokes statesman event uh, perception that he has at the moment, that he can stay and he can do both. And look at his popularity in the polls at the moment. They, In another way, he, they'd be mad to get rid of him before the next general election mm. because he's on a high. And then the next question is, obviously, if he did go, who is there to take over? Well, this is an interesting question because the last time that the Department of Foreign Affairs was run by a party leader in a coalition, it was Eamon Gilmore. And that all came a cropper then because Eamon Gilmore spent so much time abroad that he wasn't able to steward the party properly. Mm. They got a hammering in local elections and then they were like, right, that's mm-hmm. gone. I remember somebody, he was the Taunish at the time, and I remember on the day of that election count, somebody in the RDS, uh, a Labour Party member, uh, referring to Eamon Gilmore to me as the Timpishta rather than as the Taunishta. And I thought that with that basically was already meant that his goose was, was pretty well cooked in that oven. So there, there is then a genuine danger, isn't there, Valerie, that if Micheál Martin yeah. is required by the duties of the job to be in Brussels or in Belfast mm. as much as he is in Dublin or in Cork, that there's a chance that then his duties as party leader go unattended to and that if they do have a tricky local election, which is going to be the next mm-hmm. major electoral test uh, for Fianna Fáil, that the, the knives could be out for him in ways yeah, that they haven't been up till now. That's one way of looking at it. But as Rita says, like if he goes into foreign affairs, what's then going to happen is he stays out of trouble. So he's not going to be blamed for all, he's Thank not you. going to be blamed for all the big crises that are obviously mm. going to happen. He's yeah. going to get away with that. But there's another way of looking at it too. He might be thinking about his own future, Correct. and maybe he'd like to step in and run for president after Michael mm. D. Mm. And I think mm. you know the general feeling is at the moment he's very popular. People like him. They see him as a safe pair of hands. Mm. You know, and I think he could very well make it. And, just, and that's uh, what he could be doing. And Ireland's next EU commissioner is. 2024. Yeah, uh, so, so summer of 2024, there's also at that point the vacancy for the presidency of the European Council, which is currently a role that's held by his political family, mm-hmm. that that, uh, that liberal grouping, Charles Michel, who's the current president, is from that grouping. Mm-hmm. And if there was somebody who was well versed in the running of Brussels, who will now at that point have done two terms and mm-hmm. as Minister for Foreign Affairs and who was themselves a former head of government in their own home country, mm-hmm. there's a reasonable chance that Micheál Martin could be invited to take on that job, which therefore would create a nicely timed vacancy mm-hmm. in the leadership of Fianna Fáil. But of course, all of that is after the European elections, which his party has to do well in, yes. because if they do badly, then he'll just be Absolutely. nice anyway. Absolutely. But I think we need to look at the fact that he sought for and he got the foreign affairs portfolio. So what does that what does that say to us? Does it mean Northern Ireland? Well, and again, he has a huge amount of expertise, mm. obviously, in Northern Ireland, Brexit, uh, Ukraine, uh, the whole COVID aspect. So I just think it's interesting. So look, and he, he he's playing a long game here. He has a plan. He's not going to go out on a heave, I don't mm. think. Um, it'll be managed. It'll be an orchestrated exit. Uh, will they bring in a new deputy leader? They don't have one at the moment. They got rid of that. Do, mm. they, do they do that again? But again, you need to look at who's there. And there aren't that many people yeah. there in the background My- to... Michael, to um, make a change yes, at yeah. the next election. Michael McGrath sort of took on the, the Yerzat's role of a deputy leader yesterday. He was making all the succumbent speeches for, for Fianna mm. Fáil's element of things. So maybe he's kind of is, is there unofficially. The issue, of course, then is that they're, they're both in the same constituency. So can the deputy leader and the leader be from the same turf? There's all, all manner of yeah. discussions. Uh, James and Mayo. Morning, Gavin. Regarding the government, are there not others there in government who could take over as Taoiseach besides Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin? It looks very bad for this country. Happy Christmas, James. Could not have just given the job to somebody else, Father. <laughs> <laughs> well, of but I mean, they weren't going to give it to anybody else, give them an opportunity. I mean, once you get there, I think the idea is that you hold on until your party turns against you. Mm. Uh, The uh, 
aim at Ryan to go sure, would, would he love a chance just to get a, a little crack in the, the job of Taoiseach for just a little while um, we'll draw a line under the reshuffle uh, mm-hmm. stuff but by all means um, keep your, your texts and tweets coming in to 53106 or on the record NT we might get back to it a little bit later in the hour um, in the meantime I do want to touch on some of the extensive coverage as there of course understandably is um, across today's papers about the tragic events that we've been mentioning in Lebanon on, on Wednesday night resulting in the death of Private Sean Rooney and the critical injury to trooper Shane Carney who still remains um, in hospital recovering <coughs> from that um, in the Lebanon um, quite a few pieces uh, written about that across today's papers um, Valerie where would you like to start on that Yeah, front? I'd like to start with the Sunday Times there's a very interesting piece from Declan Power who was himself a member of the Defence Forces and he's looking at how the UN is going to have to reassess the threat level against soldiers after this and you know the first thing he says is you know all of this information is coming out now there's three investigations going on and the information is drip feeding but this was anything but an accident and he said the first inkling from many former Irish soldiers that this was beyond the norm were the references to armoured utility vehicles being hit by small arms fire and someone being killed and you know it's now emerged he says you know the back door of the vehicle was open and that was uh, this was on the uh, Lebanon News website mm. the bullet that killed the Irish soldier um, this is uh, Sean Rooney um, appears to have entered from the car's back door which had been opened during the shooting so there's uh, he's looking at the future mm. what's going to happen I mean are we just going to send soldiers out I mean I know this is a very isolated instant but it's still absolute heartbreak for the soldier's family his friends and the country and the defence forces and and I would like to offer my condolences to all of them because mm. this is coming up to Christmas especially. I know that doesn't make a difference, but it is the most awful thing that can happen to yeah. a young man who goes out there yeah. to protect other people. You know, it's it's just horrific. Yeah. So I think they are going to have to look at this. He says, this, um, uh, Declan Parris says, there's no doubt the assailants knew who they were targeting and um, he's, he's now he's mm. an independent security analyst yeah. now which is an interesting um, claim to say with certainty given that there's some speculation elsewhere in the papers that there may have been a case of mistaken identity and some speculation that um, the militants who may have set up on the vehicle thought that it, the, the those inside it were members of the Israeli Defence Forces rather than the Irish and whether there was some, some understandable hostility there as a result of that um, one thing which strikes me as being very significant is the reporting today in the um, Irish Mail on Sunday because um, one of the questions which arises out of all of this is how did the two um, different jeeps carrying these eight Irish personnel how did they become separated and might things have worked out differently if they were travelling in convoy uh, the whole time Um, there is a suggestion today in the Irish uh, Mail on Sunday that the second vehicle um, after the vehicles became separated the second was unable to come to the assistance of the first because it had suffered a puncture and there is supposed to be something called the run flat system which allows a vehicle to keep travelling when it gets a puncture but that that wasn't working which meant that the occupants had to physically get out of the vehicle and change the tyre shortly afterwards then they too were set upon by locals they had to flee to nearby fields which they then took up and which was described as a tactical position mm-hmm. so the idea that had things gone as they were supposed to, that there still would have been a prospect for the second vehicle to come to the aid of the first and maybe then not leave the four personnel in it to, to the fate that they suffered. Uh, look, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, and that piece in the Mail on Sunday as well is talking about that there's an Air Corps aircraft on standby now in Malta to fly to Lebanon, um, you know, so that the family don't have to endure any unnecessary delays. And they're, they're hoping to have him home then later this week. But it did say as well that he had been planning, he was actually coming home 
this mm. Wednesday so he could spend his first Christmas as an engaged man with his um, with his fiance. so mm. it's just horrendous but that piece in the Mail on Sunday uh, Gavin that you just mentioned there as well has a, a tribute uh, basically they got a, a response to the death of Private Sean Rooney uh, was received by Senator uh, Derek Crowell, uh, sorry Crockwell from yeah. an Irish soldier um, who asked to retain his anonymity. And it, it just it's an interesting read because it starts off with, sure, what do you do at work? What does a soldier do? Why do we even need an army? How many times have I been asked that question or heard it played across the airwaves um, by, I just want to say, self-serving broadcasters who are usually failed politicians or failed businessmen? But what what it, he goes on to talk about what it means to be an Irish soldier, um, and you know he he talks about foot and mouth you know we're told call the army heavy weather warnings call the army flood disaster call the army we are there um, we're there all the time you stand together in your best dress you stand side by side on a gun line as mortar bombs fly you stand in memorial as a comrade is laid down I stand ready um, and then goes on to say that, that Private Sean Rooney stood ready took the call did what he did because he was and forever will be an Irish soldier God bless you soldier yeah, a uh, really remarkable piece from that that uh, unknown member of the Defence Forces who has uh, submitted that tribute via um, Senator Jared Crockett, as you said. That's on page four um, of the Mail on Sunday. Um, Valerie, anything else that jumps out for you before we move on? Um, well, you don't want to move to the World Cup yet, do you? Uh, no, I, 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 I'm prepared to put that in abeyance because I know I know that it's a, a quite a slightly disinterested audience that I have uh, in front of me <laughs> right. in studio. Well, um, this is a very interesting story in the Sunday Times and in other papers. A stash of cash, the Brangelina of Brussels yeah. and the sting that exposed rot at the EU's heart. I mean, it's an absolutely extraordinary story. It's, it's, it's mad because you don't often hear about these kind of stings involving members of the European Parliament and sometimes the Euro critics say that these things happen but that not enough attention is paid but um, I did see a, a few days ago so this, this all revolves around a, a Greek MEP called Eva Kaili and um, she made a speech in plenary in the European Parliament in November which almost word for word sounded like the exact talking points made in a speech the following day by the president of FIFA Gianni Infantino when he went on his now infamous hour long rant about today I am a Muslim today I am a disabled today I am gay yeah. um, oh, this just word salad nonsense that came out of the man but that um, the Eva Kylie was was uh, suspected of, of you know making similar comments which just were were so similar as to raise suspicion now it turns out that she's been arrested and has had her position as a vice president of the European Parliament stripped from her because she is now suspected of having taken bungs from the Qatari government to offer a more slightly less hostile uh, take on their hosting of the World Cup um, which then uncovers a whole can of worms as to the level of lobbying that there is in the European Parliament and you know I think the story sort of got lost here during the week because we had so much other bits and pieces going on but if you do want uh, to have a, a quick read and get up to date page 15 of the Sunday Times today Peter Conradi who's the Europe editor and it goes back into that detail this actually happened as a result of a sting as you say Gavin um, on the home of a former Italian MEP during the summer where they found €700,000 in cash most of it in brand new €50 notes right so they're looking at this going what are we going to do but instead of going after him right there and then what they did was they left the money they put everything back the way they they had it. They concealed all traces that they had broken into his yeah. house, mm. and then passed their findings on because they knew there was a bigger story here, and they were right. And look at what what's unfolded now during mm. the week. Yeah. Do you think this will be sucker to those who, who think that the EU is just a corrupt cesspit full of people that are trying to line their own pockets, Valerie? Of course. I mean, we're all surprised to this, but I don't know why we should be surprised. Mm. I mean, we're talking about people buying influence at the EU Parliament, mm. which makes so many decisions on our own lives. So, I mean, who are we actually being controlled? 
controlled by are the people of Europe to some extent puppets mm. of the people who are supplying the money and we're talking about major 19 raids mm. on different houses I mean we're talking about an enormous number of people involved mm. It's not, it's, it's not just um, this woman, Eva Cayley, and she's actually a vice president of the yeah, early European Yeah, or at least she was until the other yeah. day well, when was, they voted yes, to strip her of that power. Yeah. And, and Paddy Agnew's piece in the Sunday Independent on page 20, again, he was the former uh, Rome Italian correspondent yes. for, for the Irish Times, so he knows it inside out. And he's saying other more contemporary questions concern the whole lobbying system at the European Parliament. Before the COVID pandemic, there was something like 12,000 lobbyists, 12,000 in Brussels and Strasbourg with an estimated total budget of 1.8 billion um, and often little regulation. So I think there's going to be a, you know, a whole potential review of that entire Mm. system. And again, he's saying as well, other questions include why the, uh, this is an interesting one in terms of the World Cup actually, Gavin, uh, why the Belgian police moved now during the World Cup Mm. rather than two months ago when they had already put together a substantial case. Uh Yeah. The, the plot thickens. Yes. Uh, there is one other piece, by the way, just on the topic of the European Parliament. There's a, a very extensive interview uh, on pages 14 and 15 uh, today of the Business Post with Claire Daly and Mick Wallace, um, some oh, yes. uh, two MEPs whose positions often now uh, are questioned uh, based on their, their voting records in the European Parliament. And the inevitable question is put to them by Daniel Murray today in their interview as to whether they have ever accepted money or gifts on behalf of any state interests. That is frankly outrageous, Daly said. The centre ground of this Parliament is caught with its trousers down and its grubby paws over bags of cash and some insidious creatures use that to ask have we accepted anything that's utterly ridiculous we got a diary from the Russian embassy which they give around to anyone who wants one every year it's a very nice diary that's about the height of it and a box of nuts from the Iranian embassy Mick Wallace added can people not see that given the positions that we take on stuff that you'd want to be very brave to try and bribe us because it wouldn't be it would be very dangerous wouldn't it um, never truer word spoken to be fair by Mick Wallace uh, that is on pages 14 and 15 um, of the Business Post today a few other bits and pieces that we want to discuss uh, in today's papers when we're back with Breda and Valerie in just a minute still joined in studio by Breda Brown and Valerie Cox uh, Noble Guardian has again uh, tweeted in to say does the EU Parliament really have that much power uh, personally if I had been Qatar uh, this person says, I'd have bought a commissioner or two. Wouldn't have wasted my money with the parliament. Um, to be, it's fair, I suppose, if you're trying to get bang for your book, I suppose the commissionership would probably be one of the more influential uh, jobs if you wanted to try and influence somebody. Not, of course, that we are alleging that any member of the European Commission would ever uh, receive such a thing. Um, somebody, uh, Pat, by the way, who was in touch with his point about NGOs earlier on, and I posited then, why do we have departments at all? Um, Pat has been back in touch to say that my NGO point was a good one. His issue, he says, was not expressed too well, but that his unelected NGOs have been allowed way too much influence on government by politicians they are literally writing policy for some departments uh, says Pat which is probably a reasonable complaint and I I know people have made the point before that uh, the NGO sector is perhaps disproportionately funded by government which is then a bit of a circular thing because the government is effectively paying people to become lobbyists against it uh, which is uh, a concern as far as um, some people are concerned Um, as I said um, Breda Brown and Valerie Cox still with me in studio there's two pieces on page five of the Sunday Independent that I wanted to, to pick you both on. Uh, first of all, Valerie, you, you were very tickled uh, by a story that's on page five by Lorna Siggins about Skellig Vigil and about some of the uh, efforts to try and conserve it and how they didn't necessarily go to plan. No, I mean, if Star Wars had been there now, it would have been a lot easier. <laughs> but there were several rock falls on the island and they decided to build these heavy duty shelters to protect visitors. So... They brought in a crane and the crane was bolted onto the pier. Okay. A crane is in the, the mechanical sort, not the avian sort. Oh, yes, sort. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of... <laughs> yeah. course, it is a bird, yeah. No, it was, it was the mechanical sort. Quite a big crane, actually. And they were using this for the building work. And then guess what happened? The sea swept the crane away. Phenomenal. This crane there's, there's, has just gone yeah. missing. Yeah. 
Do you think there's ever times that nature is trying to give, send you a message I being know, like, no, just, just let it happen? You know, yeah, let Lucasfilm do whatever damage, yeah, <laughs> damage arises I and I think then just you're go absolutely away. right, Gavin, yeah. because why on earth a 6th century monastery that nobody's ever touched? I mean, the next thing it'll be toilets and gift shops and interpretive centres. You know, it's, it's actually quite ridiculous. Mm. Um, I don't know why they tried to do it. I mean, make the place safe. They, with today's technology, I'm sure they could have put a bit of plaster on the rocks or something mm. like that. Just leave the puffins alone. Love, leave love, the puffins alone. I love the quote, though, from the OPW when they were asked about it. Yeah. Um, and their <laughs> statement says they confirmed the crane is, in inverted commas, no longer in position. <laughs> <laughs> the crane has been uh, relocated uh, yeah. to to the bottom of the Atlantic. Star Wars. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, may, may the force be with those puffins. Um, the other story on page five of the Sunday Independent, uh, which Breed I think had particularly caught your eye, was um, Eamon Dunphy, um, formerly of this parish, um, telling Neve Warren today that if Lionel Messi should captain Argentina to the World Cup this afternoon, and that if he gets to lift the famous trophy at about five o'clock this afternoon, that he will be close to tears. Oh, I'd say he'd be bawling. Absolutely. Let him at it. Um, although that said, he goes on to say that he predicts that France will actually scupper uh, oh. the Argentinian dreams. So uh, I don't know who, who he'll be betting on. Um, but yeah, he's, he's basically saying that because Messi is great, but Maradona won the World Cup and he'd love Messi to win it because then, you know, it'll basically put him ahead of the whole yeah. conversation around how brilliant Maradona is. To be fair, he, he does make a very salient point about like, you know, the primary role of sports, particularly in, in times like this, that it's it's um used as a vehicle for escapism because he points out mm. that a victory would lift every man, woman and child yeah. in Argentina. Yeah. Uh, the country is in rag order, inflation's at almost 100%. Yeah. That's the beauty of football yeah. where there's hardship, it's escapism. And to see that sight would be something they'd remember for their he lives. He compares Messi as well to Cristiano Ronaldo. And he says, <laughs> of course know, he does. Messi. Because that's what we do in that's sports. exactly yeah. it. Messi plays for his team, he inspires his team. Ronaldo's playing for himself to get gold and to break records he's not a team player uh, it's no basis on which to judge Messi says Jim earlier on to 53106 no player can win his on his own which is true look it's a team sport but there's a uh, Cristiano or uh, Nina Messi to be fair Valerie has done a pretty good job of trying to win the World Cup on his own this year I has he really has I mean I I never watch football okay but this year for various reasons I watched the World Cup and I've become quite an expert and I can tell you <laughs> okay, right. one big problem with the World Cup has been the referees they are appalling now, I know a little bit about this. I played hockey for okay. many years, OK? So I know what referees are supposed to do. And some of the nonsense that's gone on and the number of people watching what they're doing and not stopping them and the number of silly yellow cards that were being given out to people. Absolutely ridiculous. I can't remember the referees' names now. But I mean, they just, here you, you look crooked at me, have a yellow card. You know, well, not quite. But, you know, they were putting them mm. up on things where you have to be a little bit robust if you're getting yourself into a football match. And if you're trying to score a goal, you have to push a few people out of your way. Um, <laughs> no, you do. Seriously. Well, okay, well, fair enough. Okay. I don't, I don't think the Argentinians should win. Okay. Um, I thought they were very dirty players. Um, oh. I think Ireland will be cheering on France simply because they put England out. And I don't know if you're watching Twitter, but there was a wonderful thing going around saying, Dear France, mm. we've forgiven you for that handball. Uh, this is after they beat <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. England, of mm. course. And we're wishing you the best yeah. in the final. I don't know if we have forgiven them for the handball. Maybe that's a debate for a, a another good day. Good to do your Christmas shopping today when that match when the World is on, Cup is on. good thinking right go, go, go. I, I relinquish both of you now that to go and do that Breda Brown from Unique Media and Valerie Cox journalist and author Valerie's book by the way uh, was it, what's it called maybe it's October? called When I Was Your Age and it's published by Hachette and it's in all good and bad bookshops now and it would make a fine gift idea 
On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.